What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Core Consults RX podcast. And this episode is once again accredited for your continuing education credit. Mm, right, yes. Cole? Did right. Nail it? Okay. Nail it. So we're back at it today and uh, happy to do another episode that you can claim uh, your continuing aid credit through freece.com. If you have an unlimited membership, uh, you can listen to this episode. Hopefully, we can you know help you learn some information. Then you take those newly found skills over to their website, which will be in the show notes, and you will do a post-activity test. And then as long as you pass, which hopefully you will, uh, then you can claim your credit. And if you don't, you can always try again. There's, there's repeats in this class. And uh, if you're not a member, definitely check out their website. Uh, there's what the For now, the podcast is only um, associated with the unlimited membership so that you can't buy individual episodes. Um, but definitely uh, check out their their um, you know full library of monographs, live uh, calendars, and um, all kinds of stuff you can check out. There's a lot of information on there. And um, there's also a discount code if you check out those show notes as well. So check them out. And when you are logging into... The, uh, the post-test activity, it will ask you for a password. Um, the password is going to be POLLEN, P-O-L-L-E-N, all capitals. All capitals is key, and it'll let you in for your test-taking pleasure. Um, but yeah, tonight, allergic rhinitis. Yes. So this is a topic. I don't. We did this one a while ago, but it's been a minute. Yeah, it's been quite some time, and it's it's one that can be revisited for sure. It sure can. Yeah, I have to mention. I have to say that Case this is point. the first episode I've been on with the new music. And it's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Just have to say, thank you. The when we switched mid, I, know. I, mid, I don't. Uh, I don't want anybody to think that they tuned into the wrong podcast because they heard the wrong intro music. They were like, "What is that?" I'm sure they realized by our monotone voices. It's us. Thereafter, that we're back. It's Mike and Cole. Back at it. AJ on the uh, controls as usual. Right, he's okay. We found the soundboard we have now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, we got a new thing for a uh, gadget for AJ to play with. So yeah. um, he's back there controlling that. Um, and so I guess you know we'll jump in this thing, get started, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Let's do it. Where do you want to start, Cole? Yeah, well, we're going to do some basics because we're going to take you all the way through allergic rhinitis, background, um, drugs, first-line stuff, stuff that we might not use as much, um, and uh, so hopefully you'll have the the whole picture of what's available, prescription and over-the-counter. Um, but uh, what is rhinitis? Inflammation, um, specifically of the membranes lining the nasal passages, right? Um, so you'll hear uh, this term, seasonal allergies. Um, you may even hear uh, the terms hay fever thrown around for something like this. Um, but um, commonly there's rhinorrhea, nasal congestion, sneezing, um, itching around the nose and the eyes uh, for sure. Um, so we have medications to um, combat those symptoms. Some are more effective um, than others, and, and some are, are kind of less effective for specific um, parts of that. Like maybe they don't work as well for the eyes, but they work better for others. So we'll touch on that as we go. Um, you can do a physical exam, and you'll see some things on a physical exam that are um, characteristic of allergic rhinitis versus um, something else like sinusitis, possibly. Um, but um, swollen nasal um, turbinates, um, plus or minus nasal polyps, um, the uh, clear rhinorrhea, uh, mouth breathing, so that kind of congestion that leads to mouth breathing and uh, possibly um, an acute ear, ear infection that may or may not have effusions along with it, right? Absolutely. I like uh, mouth breathing is always makes me laugh. It does, doesn't it? Because it's, what is that, a colloquialism for like somebody who's unintelligent? Yeah, I a guess. A mouth breather? Colloquialism is a good word as well, Cole. Yes. I like that. Thank you. <laughs> 
So, uh, yeah, so seasonal versus perennial allergic rhinitis. Because some patients can deal with this, you know, allergic symptoms just at a certain time of year when, let's say, you know, pollen season. Around here where we live, South Carolina, pollen is everywhere. So my car used to be white. Now it has a nice faint uh, yellow color to it because the pollen's very thick. You know what's terrible? What's that? So I got pollen all over my truck during COVID, and right. I literally did not drive my truck for like a year because gas mileage, we were just using my wife's. Mm-hmm. We never had to drive at the same time. And so I did not wash it. And so the pollen like dried and hardened on and uh, it might, the paint also mildewed. It was terrible. I really should not take, uh, I should take better care of my truck. And so now there's like permanent stains from that one pollen season. Isn't that yeah, terrible? That is terrible. It just burns me to this day. I mean. I got lazy during COVID. It happens. Yeah. Happened to a lot of people. I had to tell you what. But uh, yeah, so pollen is, is definitely a big one here. There's also ragweed. There's a bunch of other potential allergies, environmental allergies, or patients can deal with things you know year round if there's you know pets or something like that that they're allergic to. Um, but you know because there's various uh, sort of inflammatory mediators and um, sort of um, allergic responses that the body kind of has uh, as a result of those allergens, um, it's kind of a multi-targeted uh, path that we have to look at for treatment options. Uh, we tend to think of it as you know kind of a one-way street and, and usually thinking like antihistamines and things like that but we're going to talk through um you know some of the better treatment options for maintaining symptoms because you have to realize that it's it's causing um you know leukotriene production certain prostaglandins um a release of neutrophils eosinophils other cytokines um, cytokines or, or uh, inflammatory mediators there's a lot of things going on um, and when you have a patient that is dealing with allergic rhinitis, it's also important to assess for comorbidities. So uh, you, it's not uncommon to find a patient that also has comorbid uh, cases of atopic dermatitis, um, as well as asthma, um, are very commonly seen with this. Uh, and then, you know, also checking out if they have any risk factors, either in the home or in their you know, in the environment in which they work or whatever. And it could be something you know, as as simple as like the pollen outside and that they have to interact with if they go running a lot or something like that or on walks at night and they get, you know, kind of exposed to that. But it also could be somebody smoking um, in the house uh, or around them at work or whatever, um, because it's not always the fact that they're smoking. It could be just passive, you know, secondhand smoke, Um, as well as mold or uh, they could potentially be in the home. Um, Dust mites, you know, that's something that we don't often think about. Um, And then animals, you know, yeah. Do they have a cat that they're allergic to? And I know you love that cat, but... I do love that cat. Have I talked about that? You have. I do. But if your eyes started itching really bad, would you keep them? Sure. Sure. Yeah, I would probably would yeah. too. Take some um, Though, you mentioned running. So I you, did. So you can be allergic to running? It's, that's my new I am. That's my new excuse. <laughs> I am. No, what happens is, is you run and the pollen goes so... Because you're breathing very heavily, even though you're barely moving. <laughs> right? That's my experience. And then you know, that pollen and all that goes very deep in your uh, sinuses and... Starts those starts yeah. the sneezing by the time you finish said run. I'm gonna say sorry, babe. Just uh, I know you want me to run with you, but but allergies can't do it. Just can't. It's too much of a risk. It's too much. That's a good one. Um. So yeah. So what are we trying to do with treatment? Uh, there's a few goals. The biggest thing is of course controlling these symptoms that we talked about. Uh, but that's not the only goal because we have drugs that can treat the symptoms, but might cause other undesirable symptoms as well. So we want to um, treat the symptoms of allergic rhinitis and limit the symptoms from the drug. So some drugs um, cause fatigue, so we want to reduce fatigue during the day. 
also improve sleep at night. So controlling those symptoms will help with both those as well. Um, improve taste and smell, which can be altered with allergic rhinitis, um, and prevent worsening asthma in patients who have um, asthma comorbid. Um, asthma, atopic dermatitis, and allergic rhinitis. Is that the allergic triad, or am I confused by that? It might be. Might be. We'll go with maybe. Yeah. Okay. We can Google it. Thank you. Um, there are some non-pharmacologic treatments. So Mike mentioned uh, my cat, whose name is Bess, who I, whom I love very much. Um, uh, the one option of non-pharmacologic treatment is removal of pets. I'm going to go with not an option for me, um, but it might be an option for some of you. Um, washing sheets and pillowcases in hot water. Uh, also using high-efficiency particulate air filters can be uh, an option as well. For those of you who are fancy. That is pretty fancy. Um, our actual pharmacological treatment options um, are kind of uh, vary as well. Uh, typically, intranasal steroids are sort of the first-line option for most patients, and they're going to be the, considered to be the most uh, effective and um, also generally considered um, by most guidelines to be, like I said, first-line over some of the other um, other agents that are also commonly used, but just from an efficacy standpoint and overall control of symptoms, intranasal steroids are usually top dog. That's an interesting point, too, because I, especially from a patient education standpoint, I don't feel like they grasp that as much. I think most people think of a intranasal, any intranasal um, allergy medicine to be more local to just like nasal runniness or nasal yeah. congestion yeah. versus like eye itching and all the rest of the symptoms too. So yeah, that's important true. Point. Um, oral antihistamines although can still be utilized. Um, they can be good alternatives of, or adjunct therapy as well. Um, leukotriene receptor blockers, which um, we'll mention briefly. Uh, there's also, intranasal antihistamines, um, there's nasal chromalin, um, which is probably not the best option, and we'll talk about uh, maybe a situation where you might be able to utilize that, but um, we'll kind of break all those down and go into more detail about each each class. Yeah. Um, but we've all seen the glucocorticoid nasal sprays. There, you know, Several of them are over-the-counter. Um, we have technically two different generations of them. We have our first and second. Uh, our first generation um, would be things like the budesonide, the tramcinolone, um, which both of those are over-the-counter now. And then our second generation would be um, like fluticasone, Zone, uh, both propionate and furate, uh, momentazone, things like that. Uh, and basically the, the thought is the second generation tend to have lower risk of systemic effects. Not, not to say that the first generation really is that much of a, a systemic uh, absorption from a you know steroid adverse effect standpoint, um, but just you know from a overall pharmacokinetic standpoint, the uh, second generation do have less systemic effects. Um, but it's not something either with either generation we worry that much about. Um, the the good thing is, is any of the steroid nasal sprays are going to be about the same as far as their effectiveness and treating symptoms and controlling symptoms, and uh, it ends up being kind of like either what the patient's insurance is covering or um, how f uh, often they have to dose it because those that does change from product to product, um, but ultimately know that they are going to be uh, about the same regardless of what uh, option you go with. Yeah. Um, the good thing about the steroids uh, from an intranasal standpoint, obviously, one, we can use them more, thinking about it more almost topically because it's staying in the membrane versus systemic absorption for the most part. But it's going after all of those different inflammatory mediators and uh, the cytokines that are responsible for, for promoting the inflammation. Uh, and it's kind of calming down multiple, uh, you know, 
things that are kind of targeting uh, or causing the symptoms in the first place. If you see like the Flonase commercial, they talk about that and they kind of throw you know shade at the oral histamines. We're like, <laughs> oh, that only helps one thing. This goes after six things. <laughs> you know, that's cool. I, I get it. Um, you know, it does take a little bit though to get maximally. Uh, the maximum effect of the flonase, like entering the nasal steroids. And I think that might be where some of the public perception comes from. Because usually from like a oral and histamine standpoint, you can get some relief fairly quickly. Um, but really with the, ster- the nasal steroids, it takes about, um, you know, three to five days, maybe even a week or so to really get, um, you know, the full effect. Some people, some, some resources will say two to three weeks to yeah. get maximum effect. It kind of just varies on the product, but just know that it's not going to happen overnight. Right. And, you know, to tell patients that they need to stick with it, they need to use it every day. And, um, eventually those symptoms will, will improve. Yeah. It's funny because, um, I would think that with maybe one of the first gen antihistamines that we'll talk about, or even like cetirizine, when a patient feels something from taking something, so if they feel drowsy, they're going to be like, oh, this is working. I know it must be working for my allergies because I'm getting tired. Um, but the intranasal glucocorticoids are not going to cause that. And so uh, it might be, might be a different perception of response. Interestingly, there can actually be drug interactions with these, even though they're pretty local. Um, so strong CYP3 or 4 inhibitors like itraconazole and nefazidone, um, there are some case reports of interactions with intranasal uh, fluticasone. Um, and, yeah. and before you even jump into the uh, next slide, because I think this is a perfect segue into our sponsor of the episode, pearls.com as always, for our pearl of the day because I you pulled up uh, Flonase because I was like, you know what, Cole? I don't remember how to administer Flonase properly. <laughs> I just forgot. So I pulled up. You have no idea. I, I don't. I, I was clueless. And thank God I pulled this up, though, because they have an administration technique step-by-step that you can kind of walk patients through uh, on the Pearl's drug information database. So you can pull up Flonase, and it says, step one, blow nose to clear the nostrils. Step two, you're going to tilt the head slightly forward, which is actually the complete opposite of what almost every patient does kind and of they'll intuitively. Go back. Oh, it's like when you have a nosebleed and you just yeah. like. Put your, your head, head back, back, and then all the blood goes down the back of your throat. For everybody on the podcast, I just dipped my head back. Nobody he got to see that. He did. It was good. You guys should have been here. And <laughs> then uh, step three, um, they say place the spray tip um, about a fourth or uh, half an inch into the, the one nostril. Um, hold the bottle upright and aim the spray towards the back of the nose, which is also tends to not happen. Um, and then they spray one uh, pump and then sniff gently at the same time. And that's sniffing gently. You don't have to take this huge, big, huge inhale, which, again, I feel like I see patients do something. Sometimes they inhale like it's their their life depends on it. <laughs> my, just can't help but think of my dad. My dad, oh, yeah, my dad closes thing. one nostril oh, and just and it's go time. sucks it up as hard as he can. That's getting in the back of my brain before, That's terrible. before I leave here. Um, step five, obviously, is repeating depending on the, the type of uh, nasal spray that you're using, formulation that you're using. Um, step six is just to kind of breathe in gently as the medication kind of goes deeper, uh, but not to tilt your head back after using the nasal spray, which is another thing. For some reason, people love that. Head tilt. Uh, the health tilt, which ends up just making the medication drain down the back of your throat exactly. and taste disgusting, yeah. um, which is also noted here. And then when you're finished, wipe off the spray tip with a clean tissue because your nose might be disgusting. And it doesn't say that part. I added that. I was ad-libbing. And then uh, then you can um, you know store it in a proper place for later. But yeah, that's uh, it's in the Pearls database now. Constantly getting new drugs. So check out www.pearlspyrls.com slash coreconsultrx. You can sign up for a free um, membership, and then if you want all the content released, you can go and do the paid one after that, but the, there's a version of it that's free with plenty of good stuff. 
Love it. Pearl of the day. Pearl of the day. I'll definitely say that I'm one who tilts my head back after administration a little bit, and I always end up with it running down my throat, and it tastes absolutely terrible. Yeah. Because the reason I do it is because otherwise it drains out of the front, which I guess in hindsight is probably more pleasant. I get ahead of it. I spit it right in my mouth. Right. <laughs> I get used to it, and then I then I, it doesn't matter. Well, the the taste apparently that's happens. a joke. By the way, don't do that <laughs> for all of you who are going to sue us. Yeah, that is, is not a, true. This is an incredible episode. We have to say, do not do <laughs> that. That is not true. That is a complete joke because we're on a podcast. Um. Yeah. So the, the the taste is actually something that happens to a lot of people, which I didn't realize as much because it really bugs me um, about a certain brand. But for patients who have a lot of issues with that taste and want something um, that might not have that as much, there is a, a Q nasal as well as Zatona. These are both dry aerosol delivery systems and will not cause uh, as much uh, of that taste sensation. There's also one that is preferred in pregnancy. Um, Budesonide, uh, Rhinocort may be preferred in pregnancy as well. Uh, the adverse reactions are kind of what you would expect. Some um, local irritation, um, drying, burning, discomfort, uh, run off into the throat, like I mentioned. Um, a fair amount of people, up to 10%, uh, report these um, uh, during use. And it is important to mention that um, the ones that contain alcohol or propylene glycol are more irritating. So some of those brands would be like Cunasal, Flonase, um, even Zatona uh, contain alcohol and might be a little more irritating. Yep, yep. So that's the, the nasal steroids. Let's talk about the oral antihistamines because there are several. Um, there's also generations of these. And uh, the first generations are things like diphenhydramine, chlorpheniramine, hydroxazine. Um, and then when you move to the second generation, we're talking about the medications like cetirizine, loratadine, fexafenidine. And then we have our, it's, I don't even know if third generation is the technical term for it. I think it's more slang. But uh, third generation would be like levocetirizine or desloratadine. Um, basically, those are the newest, um, more purified options, if you will, um, versions of the second generation. Um, so basically, these are going to competitively inhibit uh, the histamine 1 receptors, H1 receptors, preventing and binding of histamine. Um, so that's going to help to sort of control some of those symptoms uh, of the allergic rhinitis. However, you are also going to get the rest of uh, the symptoms that go along, or the side effects, rather, that go along with blocking that histamine receptor. And uh, those can be the anticholinergic type side effects, where you get some blurred vision, you get some dry mouth, you get um, constipation, um, you get urinary retention, um, it could be dizziness, uh, you can get some cognitive or psychomotor performance um, issues where you, those can start to be decreased, a lot of sedation, so definitely without uh, or not without side effects. Now, the first generation uh, antihistamines are going to cross the blood-brain barrier significantly more readily than the second and third generation, and so they tend to be associated with a lot more of side effects, and the one group of adverse effects that patients always complain about is the anticholinergic effects, mm -hmm. um, especially the dry mouth, the dizziness, the fatigue. That The fatigue is a big one. If I take a Benadryl, yeah. I'm out. <laughs> and yeah. so, Which does have that paroxysmal effect on some people where they... Get, causes agitation. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I remember I would have, like, with this one particular kid when I was young, say that when he got it, that, that he was, like, bouncing off the walls, and I was like, you're lying. Turns out it's a real thing. It's a real thing. I saw. I remember seeing uh, this was I don't, this was when I was in pharmacy school. But there was a, I was on a plane with with Jen at the time, and uh, there was literally like some mom that was like had these kid with her that was going. I mean, nuts, full on, just 
crazy in the plane, just jumping on stuff, hitting his kid legs. And she's like explaining to the flight attendant, like, I am so sorry. We gave him Benadryl to knock him out. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and I had just had that section in pharmacy school. I was like, oh, I know what's going on. <laughs> I know what's happening. That's, uh, yeah, we got to take Nathan on the flight in July for Dude. the first time. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That, that might that might be your key to get to see the cockpit, though. What, having a kid? Yeah. Because they're like, they're like, sometimes a pilot will like show Yeah, the kid. but you know, probably not a one-year-old. Oh. You know. You can, you don't know, say he has to enjoy it. I'm saying that's your <laughs> ticket to seeing all those cool buttons. Yeah, Nathan really wants some wings. <laughs> so if you have some, then you, if you're you have some them. adult size, you're, that'd be great. You're wearing them. <laughs> that would be great. AJ, yeah. order us wings. Um, the right. pilot ones and the yeah, real yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. And the true. chicken ones. That'd be good. So the second generation, though, we're not having to worry as much about those adverse effects. Um, you know, we still will have some, um, but they tend to be considered non-sedating uh, and less anticholinergic effects. Um, that being said, if we had to label one of them as, the, as more sedating than others, um, cetirizine tends to be the one that we get a little bit more complaints about. And it kind of makes sense because the, the most potent first generation uh, antihistamine is hydroxyzine. And that is actually metabolized into cetirizine. So basically, they took the active metabolite or one of the active metabolites that you know and made that into its own product, so they could try to cut down on some of those side effects. Um, the problem is, it's still the active metabolite of the most potent uh, antihistamine, and yeah. tends to be a little bit more sedating than others, uh, for especially if someone's more susceptible to them. Yeah, you'll definitely hear that. Definitely hear that complaint, and we'll talk about the the relative sedation of the other ones as well. Um, but with those first generations, the onset of action is pretty quick, about 30 minutes. Um, I feel like there's a, a perception that it's like much faster than the second and third gens, but that's not really the case. I think they're about 30 to 60 minutes as well, so pretty much the same. Um, there's really no reason that I can think of to use a first generation over a second generation in a, in a, in a otherwise pretty much in any patient I can think of for allergic rhinitis. Uh, but the first generations are lipophilic. They're, they easily cross the blood brain barrier, like Mike said, um, and all the side effects that go along uh, with, with Mike said. And then we already mentioned the agitation as well. So the second and third generations, um, uh, some notable things. Cetirizine does have dosing down to six months old. Uh, it's 2.5 milligrams. Prior to that, um, there's really no other allergy options that are actually medications you'll see things that are like um little noses and yeah stuff. homeopath well that i guess that's an actual drug but there's also like homeopathic things like the zarbies and stuff like that but uh, otherwise it's it's not actual medications um levocetirazine um is uh, what we would quote unquote call a third generation it's an active uh, metabolite of cetirazine um basically it's equivalent in uh, what it does um at about half the dose um, it, you know, people will say that it's, uh, less sedating, which is definitely possible, but both of these, um, are more sedating than other second and third generations because of that structural, uh, structural similarity to hydroxyzine, like Mike mentioned, uh, loratadine, which um, tends to be the one that I take is possibly less effective than the others. Um, but, um, you know, I've, I've had people, uh, mention that they will take one for a while and then they feel like their symptoms are, um, coming back. And, and so they'll switch to one of the other ones for a while and, and kind of rotate through, um, I, I would say just what works best for the individual patient. Um, Desloratadine is the is a major active metabolite of loratadine. So similarly, it's equivalent, um, but at half the dose of loratadine. Fexafinidine is the most non-sedating. So if you have somebody who has trouble with even loratadine with some sedation, it's the most non-sedating um, at even higher than recommended doses, but it does have some drug interactions. Um, it inhibits OP, um, so do not take it with any um, fruit juices. Yeah, and I think that's the one that 
to me, it's the only one that stands out with that interaction, that organic anion transport polypeptide. That's yep. just my favorite thing to say. Because um, usually when we think juice, we think grapefruit juice because of the sip interactions. Mm-hmm. But I, that's fixofenadine, and I know there's others that do interact with OTEP, but that that's a trans like um, an absorption uh, issue because it's, it's actually blocking the transport that is used for absorption. And I cannot tell you how many times I've talked to patients who have said that fexanavanidine stinks. I don't like that one. It doesn't work. And I ask them how they take it. And they go, I take it in the morning with my orange juice and breakfast. Yeah. And they go, uh-oh. So we're going to address that first issue, which is the orange juice for breakfast. And we'll address the yeah, second issue, yeah, which yeah. is the uh, Who told you that was a good idea? Because <laughs> yeah. that's not. It's got uh, vitamin C. Yeah, just take a vitamin C tablet or eat an orange. Or Anyways, yeah. <laughs> everyone of my that patients with diabetes that I counsel, it's like, I love orange juice. <laughs> like, oh, boy. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so that that interaction, that's any type of fruit juice, whether it's, you know, apple, grape, whatever. Um, it's a weird Cran- interaction, but maybe. If you're uh, grape, uh, grapefruit. Cranberry. Uh, um, raisin. I mean, that's grape, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Instantly trying to name as many <laughs> juices as possible. That's that's helpful. Um, the, carrot. Uh, well, maybe not carrot. I don't think it's carrot. Vegetable? Yeah, I don't that's think not, so. That's a vegetable juice. It is a vegetable juice. Mm. Watermelon. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, AJ. <laughs> Thank you, AJ. <laughs> Uh, that's true it is mostly water it might not have an issue there either oh boy no it's off the rails but uh yeah so that interaction is only applies to fexofenadine Um, we also have intranasal antihistamines so we have islastine and then olipatidine Um, typically olipatidine you you think of as like the uh, ophthalmic versions um, like patent olipatidae but uh, there is a uh, intranasal formulation as well and these are a little bit better as far as the side effect goes, um, because the side of you know the, the sedation and whatnot, they're not going to be um, as, as widely systemically absorbed, and so you can tend to not have to worry as much about the side effects. However, the what they are, you know having uh, safety profiles or side effect profiles, they lack in, in efficacy, so they're kind of uh, you know weaker agents, especially um, going to be uh, weaker than like the nasal steroids. Those are definitely uh, still going to be first line. They do, however, have um, the combination products available, and one in particular has been around for a while is the Mista. Um, it's fluticasone and azelastine together, um, or you could just prescribe them separately and just have the patient use both. But uh, they are, it's not, you know, something that you can't do both of them, but uh, they, they um, if you had to pick one, definitely with this nasal steroid. Yeah, I see these, especially azelastine, used all the time. Where do you think that comes from? I, don't, I, I mean, p- maybe people who've tried the other stuff and it's like they're just moving on to this because it's definitely not first line for these things. I, at least in my experience, it's, it's usually patients who are doing something like the Flonase or whatever, Budesonai, and they're either not using the proper administration technique so they don't think it's working mm-hmm. or, you know, they are not doing the right dose mm-hmm. or they're skipping days and only using it when they need to. So they might be prescribed that to add on or to replace. Yeah, and they're, so it's like an ad, their adjunct therapy that I they're see. getting. It's when I, that's how I typically see it being utilized. Yeah. I yeah. think Azelastine's over the counter now too. It just went over the counter. Oh, I did believe. It? I believe so. Nice. Um, well, is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I know. Then more people are going to end up using that instead of something that works a little bit better. But, but yeah, I mean, definitely it's out there. I, I personally would recommend doing the uh, steroid, the nasal steroid first, yeah. and then if they need an adjunct therapy, then maybe consider an oral antihistamine. Yeah. If that's not an option. You worry about side effects, then the intranasal because they're not as effective. Any issues with the oral plus the nasal? Uh, I mean, not that I can think. Not that right. I can think. I'd be more worried about a little bit more side effects, anti-cholinergic effects, because yeah. at least you're you you might not be getting so much systemic absorption with just the intranasal antihistamine by itself. Yeah. But 
just that much more added, added on to it. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. So, um, sometimes your nose is stuffy, so sometimes we have to decongest your nose. Uh, so we do have uh, some available decongestants, oral and intranasal. Um, generally, how these are going to act is um, uh, by being alpha-adrenergic agonists, so that would be considered a sympathomimetic. Um, they cause vasoconstriction, and they decrease sinusoid vessel engorgement and mucosal edema, and, uh, and that's how they help with decongestion. So we have the big one that everybody's familiar with, which is the pseudoephedrine, uh, branded as pseudofed, um, uh, because of the Combat Methamphetamine Act. Uh, you have to get that behind the pharmacy counter. Uh, generally, it acts as a stimulant, um, important to counsel patients on, especially with the um, long 24-hour doses, 12-hour doses even, uh, around sleep. Some people will have some issues with sleep. Um, it's not recommended in patients with um, hypertension, cardiovascular disease. Um, it can be okay with monitoring and controlled hypertension, but if there's other options, then, then maybe avoid it if you're concerned. Um, patients with closed-angle glaucoma don't use uh, in those patients either, and it's available in a variety of combinations with antihistamine products. So generally, if you see uh, any of those products ending with D, that is going to be the Sudafed which it's interesting that they chose D as the acronym for all those, isn't it? Yeah, it is kind of strange. You know? I guess because decongestant, maybe. Oh, my goodness. Was that just epiphany for you? My mind is blown. <laughs> well, thank God I'm here. I'm like, so there's a D in the middle of pseudofedrine, and there's a D in the middle of pseudofed, but why was it not P or S? It's decongestant. It is. Killing me, Mike. Dude. How long have I been a pharmacist? I, a long time. Too long. long too long to not think <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> Great. Well, here, well, answer me this. Okay, yeah, yeah. I already figured it out. So the next one is, <laughs> is phenylephrine. Uh, generally, uh, is, is Sudafed PE or, or will end in PE. But see, with that one, they went based on the name. They went with phenylephrine. It would be PE. I think I think the D products came out first. So they were like, oh, we'll be clever to decongest. And then they were like, crap, cough with like DM, like dexamorthorphan or, you know, whatever. They just, then they were like, I'll just name after the active ingredient. Yeah. They gave up. Yeah, okay. You, okay. They you can, you can my... tell why I would be confused because DM, dextromethorphan, right. uh-huh. PE, right. phenylephrine. I feel like you're very worked up about this. I think I had more in my favor mm-hmm. than the D did. Well, the, the thing about me, though, is I know all the history <laughs> of these cough and cold products. Yeah, you were around when they all had, had their First of all, that's not true. <laughs> How dare you? I'm, I'm so young. Right, AJ? <laughs> Thank you. AJ says Me and AJ are the same age, the same age basically. Well, I should uh, point out that phenylephrine is pretty wah, wah, wimpy, yeah. but Absolutely. you'll see it all over the place and used a lot because they don't have to go to the pharmacy counter. And there is some misconception about, you know, sometimes some concern about Sudafed and abuse in some way if it's used as it's prescribed, but there's not. It's just behind the counter because people can abuse it in a different way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sometimes you got to cook up some meth. Just sometimes you got to do it. I, uh, We're not going to do that on our accredited episode either. No, we are definitely not. Um, I, I literally went to uh, the pharmacy uh, this, this last time I bought Sudafed over the counter. I was getting some for Jim. She was sick, and I was wearing. I don't. I would come back from the gym. I was wearing like a hoodie, and <laughs> I just didn't look like very <laughs> professional. And. I, like I asked for some soup and the girl looked at me and I, and then like I hear her whisper to the pharmacist. I'm like, Oh no, I'm getting profiled. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I should have dressed nicer. They, yeah. So yeah, they're not like, going to sell Mike's soup. No, they sold it to me, but it's fine. And of course I was like, can I just get the, cause like, we never buy it. I was like, can I get the 96 count? I was like, oh no. I said the one thing I'm not supposed to say. <laughs> it, was, oh, it was terrible. And you knew um, the exact amount. Because as as, oh, I know. Nobody knows the random amounts that are in soup yeah, except course. for She's somebody. Like, oh who's yeah. This guy's it. smurfing for sure. <laughs> That's what they call it. Um, 
So yeah, it was, is that what they call? Yeah, that's the te- that's the street. Then they call them Smurfs. They come in, they ask for Sudafed uh, to fake like they have a cold. It's great. Wow. Man, we've we've done retail before. I, I have. I can't. I can't say that. I can't say that I knew what the D meant, and I can't say I knew what a Smurf was, but um, I do now. Yeah. Well, see, you're. We're all learning. I'll finish up with the fact that there are uh, intranasal anticholinergics that are used to decongestants. The ipratropium. You know, you'll see it as atrovent, but it's generic, so you'll probably just see the ipratropium. Um, it can uh, decrease rhinorrhea, but um, it's not as effective as the nasal steroids. So that is good to know. Yeah. I just doing sign language at me. Yeah, AJ, you're four. Sorry. Just check it. There it, there is. There it is. is. We switched up the the, uh, the interface that we're using for the microphones. And I forgot to switch his, his <laughs> microphone from five to four. So, oops. Sorry, AJ. That's why he sent it so far away. Yeah. Well, AJ's back. Okay. Um, and then, so the, the you can just did you talk about the anticholinergics, the yes. intranasal? Okay, yes. which one? I thought so. I just want to make sure. So the other oral agents that we have available, this one's prescription only, is uh, the Montelukast that we had mentioned. Um, there's also one that's it's in the same class of uh, being a leukotriene receptor antagonist, um, Zafirlukast, but that one's really only FDA approved for patients with asthma. Um, and there's another product that's even it's kind of similar, um, Zilutin, that is also approved for asthma. So you'd have to have that comorbidity. And there's also much better drugs to use anyway. But the one that we'll focus on is Montelukast because you can use that in allergic rhinitis. Um, it's it's typically well tolerated um, in certain situations, and it's pretty rare. But it can cause a patient to have some abnormal dreams um, or even um, some onset of anxiety um and so it's usually something we only have to worry about in patients that have kind of a you know history of um some sort of an anxiety anxiety disorder um now there is a fda box warning that was added in 2020 um and it said basically to watch for behavioral and mood changes and i think a lot of people were very nervous about that and kind of um especially patients or parents of patients um were a little bit concerned that oh my kid is on this medication like is this going to get him off of it and it's something that uh i kind of read up on some of the fda's uh, sort of reasoning behind putting this on there and it because we've kind of always known about this I feel like it was something that I remember even hearing about in school but I they said that it's it's one of those because it's rare and it's it's extremely rare because of that though it, that not enough providers would talk to patients about it mm-hmm. and they wanted to make sure that providers were st- kind of having at least in the background of their mind that they could happen so that I feel like I see I would see this pop up uh, a lot with this drug prescribed a lot for like adolescents I don't know why it ended up that way maybe it's because of the asthma comorbid and stuff but a lot of adolescents as well which is yeah. I'm sure why it's important well, and I think it has like granules for different formulations oh, that are yes. easier for kids as well. It does. It? Um, but yeah, I remember uh, when I used to work for um, you know in a retail pharmacy back in the day. I actually dispensed quite a bit of the ten milligram tablets though, to adults as well. I feel like. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, I guess I, I saw maybe I just saw more, more kids, kids than I thought uh, you know, than I anticipated. I yeah. Would. That's what but, I was thinking. And, you know, it's for the most part, it's very safe. And so it's yes. something that, you know, again, I would take caution in patients that have some sort of behavioral health, like history of behavioral health, you know, concerns or conditions. But, you know, it's not like something that just happens. If you've been stable on it for the most part, um, it's not something we typically have to worry about. It. They, they really kind of added that box warning for the sole purpose of bringing attention to it amongst providers. Um, however, the my issue with it is not so much the side effects, but the you know effectiveness. How well it works. Yeah. Um, because, for instance, you've, they've done a study where they compared uh, nasal fluticasone versus Montelukast plus loratadine. 
I don't know why they, you know, they picked the two wimpiest drugs, but um, <laughs> fluticasone by itself was still better. And so for me personally, I kind of tend to think about this for patients as a possible option who have allergic rhinitis and um, concomitant asthma. That's, that's the yep. patient like you know population that I kind of think that, hey, this might be a more bang for my buck. Um, I still would try to optimize the more standard asthma treatment options, but um, you know the, that, that could be utilized in that case. Yeah, I think that um, there might be a, just a slight misconception. I don't know if it's among patients or, or providers that it's a heavy hitter because, because it's, it's prescription, prescription. Yeah, which most of what we're talking about are, are not prescription. I mean, some of the nasal sprays are desloratadine is, but most of them aren't. So they'll they'll it, maybe the providers know. I'm not saying they don't know. Maybe they know, and they're just. Um, I don't know, using it to, to placate them a little bit. Like, oh, they'll come. I'm sure if they're going in for allergies for an appointment, uh, then they're going to say, I've tried all the over-the-counter stuff. You know, you, you try this or that. Oh, I've tried it all. I've tried it all. So it's like, well, I've got this prescription thing that I can, you know, give you a try. And even though they know it might not work fantastically, maybe there's, you know, a little bit of, oh, I'm getting a prescription, so it's going to work better. I definitely get that feeling from people sometimes. But yeah, yeah as far as its actual effectiveness outside of being used concomitantly with asthma. Kind of limited. Pretty limited. Yeah, I think, and that's another example of what we were talking about earlier about making sure you review, like, administration of the nasal spray. There's so many other things I think it's, you know, skipped. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times it's due to time. But, uh, you know, the, those are things, especially for the pharmacists, you know, yeah. that's a good opportunity to kind of, like, make yourself useful. Right. Um, where we have a little bit more time for the patient education piece. Make for sure. sure they understand how to use the meds. Like, if my dad went in and said, like, hey, I'm using this Flonase, it doesn't work at all, I'd be like, let me just demonstrate how... How you're using it and then he, you would see that he's slurping it down his nasal cavity so fast it doesn't even touch the nasal mucosa it just goes straight down his throat because that's how hard he's inhaling through his nose and then you take his and demonstrate on yourself to show him yeah and he'd be like oh that's disgusting and then you get some you sort of weird, weird illness because he just used his <laughs> hand, his hand it back to him. after he did all right so now you try no, i'm good <laughs> i'm good <laughs> i'm horrible i'm like good to, weird doctor yeah i like <laughs> to watch i don't need your covid you like i knew pharmacists weren't real doctors <laughs> so that's what that's what how that would go um, all right, so intranasal decongestants. We talked yeah. about oral decongestants, um, but we also have some some intranasal versions. Uh, we have phenylephrine as well. Uh, now, like Cole was saying, typically think phenylephrine not very effective um, when it comes to we're not talking IV phenylephrine either. We're in like an ICU setting. We're talking about uh, that's, a, that's a very different. Yeah, it pops up in other situations. We're talking about the OTC. There you go. Na- uh, very yeah, different. Um, so in regards to uh, nasal spray version of phenylephrine, there is the product Little Noses that I mentioned earlier that you can use um, in like very, very small uh, children. And um, it's a very, very almost minuscule dose. Um, you know, it's, it's basically an alternative option to like normal saline or something, but uh, not really that effective especially in adults or anything like that um we have an intermediate acting version because the phenylephrine is a very short duration of action if you were going to use it um there's an intermediate acting one called um tetrahydrazine and it's uh i think tyzine is the brand name for it and uh, it lasts about four to six hours but really the one that most patients will get some of some use out of um, and for especially our adult patients is the uh oxymetolazine or the afrin um, that can last up to 12 hours. The, the really good thing about Afrin is the onset of action is quick. It's like tends to be like five to 10 minutes in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Um, the issue is you want to make sure that you warn patients about stopping it um, after you know about three days or so. Yeah, because it is very. Uh, 
very prevalent to get rebound congestion that is horrible. Really bad. If you continue on uh, taking it after that, you know, four or five day mark. And uh, they'll just end up using it every day for the rest of their life to combat the. Right. Yeah. I've had a few patients that are like, I've taken this every day for six months. If I don't take it, my allergies flare up. I yeah. said, yeah, I bet they do. Well, let me ask you this because I don't know the answer. Tell so me. after the three days, you stop. When can you do it again? Um, I, I mean, I, I tend to think, yeah, I tend to think three to five days. You Maybe after okay. a few uh, half-lives when it's out of yeah. your system, you can do it again. That's, okay. that's what I tend to, to think. I mean, I I want to say uh, a week would be plenty if you really yeah. want to be safe. So, um, yeah, for this is not going to be your once daily seasonal yeah. or even perennial allergy medicine. This is probably going to be a lot more for um, if you're having a really bad situation or if you have a concomitant cold or something like that for I, a short period of time. I tend to think of this as like, hey, this is my three-day option while I'm waiting for my na- my Flonase to really kick in yeah. and keep the infl- inflammatory meters at, at bay so that yeah. the, this is my relief while I'm waiting for that it's to like happen. like your acute medicine right. that well, only my, works well, for chronic. a few days. Is, well, and, yeah, and then it turns it's on. It's like you. if albuterol caused your lungs to close up after your three days. <laughs> Think of it like that. It's the exact same thing. <laughs> It'd be like you would not even want to use albuterol anymore. That'd but uh, so, anyways, yeah. Um, so, so we have um, we also have another nasal spray, uh, which is only really used in certain situations called chromalin. Um, it's a mast cell stabilizer. Uh, it's available over the counter. Usually this is used and could be recommended in certain situations when a patient has uh, episodic symptoms or periodic symptoms like if they're around dogs or cats and they have a predictable time when they're going to be around dogs and cats. Like maybe they don't own one, but their uh, girlfriend owns one and they don't want to be you know, sniffling around while they're at their girlfriend's house. Uh, then they might administer chromalin 30 minutes before and then that way they're not you know, crying or, or tearing up while they're at their, their girlfriend's house. Um, it has to be dosed at one to two sprays per nostril every four hours to maintain effectiveness so it doesn't last that long. Generally, it's pretty well tolerated and no notable side effects, um, but really it's safe for patients who maybe couldn't tolerate other agents or, or just need it for this uh, short duration. Yeah. And, um, you know, we also have certain medications uh, that in the case of, like, really severe either, uh, you know, allergic rhinitis that's, combat- that's combined with asthma um, or nasal polyps, they have the immunotherapy, like, so, like, Zolaire or um, Ragwitec are options that are basically they're just either, um, like, for Zolaire, it's just, or, um, I'm not Zolaire, I'm sorry, <laughs> Olalair. I was going to say, well, yeah, isn't that I'm asthma? Per- yeah, 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 that is asthma. I'm an idiot. I meant Olalair. <laughs> sorry, guys. Everybody home. I was like, what is he talking about? Um, so that, well, they tuned us out a long time ago, so it didn't really matter. Was that? They might have just tuned us out a long time ago, so it doesn't really matter. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's my, we can say uh, whatever we want. <laughs> well, unless they didn't tune us out. <laughs> um, but the uh, Ola there is five different grass pollen extracts, um, and this is something that uh, it is us- usually utilized in patients who are less than 65 years of age. Um, it's contraindicated in patients with severe and unstable asthma because that basically you won't get as much efficacy, and, and it can worsen that whole situation. Situation. But uh, it has to be started once daily, four months before the expected onset of each like grass pollen season, and then continued throughout the season. So it's probably a pretty large chunk of the year. And then um, Ragwitec is a, a, wag, a ragweed pollen extract. Um, again, indicated for patients that are less than 65 years of age um, that do not have severe unstable asthma. And uh, this one is started once daily, uh, more than 12 weeks before expected onset of each ragweed pollen season and continued throughout the season from there. Yeah, I think these are kind of fun. It's like, uh, you know, taking little bits of uh, the actual thing to build up a tolerance and yeah. bada bang, bada boom. And see what happens. Don't have a bad reaction. 
Um, and let's, I guess since we're on this, because sometimes, you know, you'll see these as utilized for kind of adjunct, like lifestyle therapies, um, as well as patients who have like recurrent, um, like sinus infections and things like that. But there is, uh, I feel like more and more patients are starting to use like the saline rinses, like the nasal rinses, mm-hmm. like the neti pots. Mm-hmm. Um, they have some that are like regular sinus rinses. They just look like a regular spray bottle. Yeah. And they have, then of course the neti pot has to show off and look like a genie Look lamp. like a literal t- And you're like, this is for people who need to look ridiculous. Totally. What's funny is it's totally unnecessary. completely. It doesn't have to look like that at all. What happened was the person who designed it watched way too much Aladdin, the big Disney fan. And then that's what you get. But the take home, and as far as like how effective that can be, it's, it's kind of a little bit, uh, you know, kind of debatable as far, especially as far as we're preventing infections and whatnot. But I will say, it's not going to hurt you to try it. But the one thing that you need to make sure patients are doing if they're using a neti pot is, or any other nasal sinus rinse, um, if they are asking how they are mixing it or what they're, what kind of, where they're getting the water that they're mixing it with. Because most patients, I think, tend to just stick it right under the sink, get some tap water. Because you can drink the tap water, you'd be fine. However, your stomach is a little bit more uh, capable of dealing with the what could potentially be in that water than your sinus cavity that also is a direct shot to your some neurological type of, uh, anatomy. And so there's actually been case reports of like patients using an antibiotic with tap water that got like amoebas and stuff in their brains. Um, so I'll tell you what uh, is not worth cleaning your sizes out is that so you're saying i shouldn't use the rainwater that i collect oh you can use, use that that's fine pot. he's just trying to be environmentally friendly yeah good job aj saving the turtles you might not be around to see the turtles live but <laughs> so have you said it. it yet distilled water no i haven't thank you it's a long AJ lead up <laughs> aj distracted me um aj what are you doing um thank you um but uh distilled water is the key so to make sure that they are aware of that. I feel like a lot, every person I've ever mentioned that to, they're like, wait, what? They've just been getting another tap. Yeah. So whether it's an any pot or any other sinus rinse, distilled water is key. Have you used an any pot before? <laughs> so I've had my nose broken a lot when I was a younger mm-hmm. younger dude. Um, and so when I try to do it, because I'd never had it fully <laughs> fixed properly, uh-huh. so when I try to do it, it's it's uh, not a steady stream. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of damage up in that sinus cavity, so it's probably great. I've never broken my nose, but I've also never used a neti pot. You should you should try both things. That way, you, can, <laughs> you should try it. Just do it at the same time. Well, sure. I could break my nose with that a neti pot. You can get the blood out of there. Just clean it up. That's disgusting. It is. Yeah. But, yeah. 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 Since we're on that, I think, um, why don't we touch a little bit on... Um, on rhinocytositis a little bit because that's where that probably comes in a little bit more so this is a situation that is different from allergic rhinitis and uh, is definitely going to be part of the differential especially if somebody um, is having symptoms that are a little bit more severe Um, but it would be uh, acute rhinosinusitis would be defined as symptomatic inflammation of the nasal cavity and the sinuses lasting less than four weeks Um, this can be caused by viral um, and uh, this can be caused by viruses it can also be caused by bacteria um, so there's a lot of emphasis on a wait and see approach if possible um, to see if it's a virus and that's probably from an antimicrobial stewardship standpoint. So obviously for allergic rhinitis, no need for antibiotics. There's no concern about it being uh, uh, due to a virus or due to bacteria. Um, but this is uh, an infection and so it's either going to work itself out in 7 to 10 days because it's a virus or it's going to have to be treated with a bacteria. And I think that's important just because it's, it's going with to be... With bacteria? Antibacterial? It's going to have to be treated with a bacteria. With an antibiotic. 
Um, but I think that's important because, um, uh, you know, you'll hear patients say sinus infection a lot, and sometimes it might just be allergic rhinitis, or maybe it actually is a sinus infection. Um, they're frequently, especially if they've had sinus infections in the past, going to be asking for antibiotics. Um, so from an antimicrobial stewardship standpoint, when you're considering who to treat and who to do the wait-and-see approach for, it's very patient-specific. Um, but if you think that they could reliably return or you could follow up with them in about a week or so, um, maybe provide symptomatic care and observe them for a week. Uh, but then if um, you don't think they're going to be able to, maybe you go ahead and prescribe an antibiotic or just do it after that seven-day period, seven to ten-day period when you feel like you can confirm it's bacterial. Yeah. Look at, uh, for those of you who are watching the video version, I don't know if you can read that or not, but it just says this kid that looks, looks pretty nerdy and is, I don't know, some kind of weird it's a mean shirt yeah and it says uh, this is what i give my pa students and it says uses neti pot for the first time gets pregnant amoeba i like how we have this uh extremely elaborate setup in here yeah uh, but instead of like having aj post that meme right there for all oh. the people watching the video we're going to turn our laptop and show the camera here's the thing laptop. about it though is you know <laughs> it was either that or we have missed opportunity to show some stuff uh yeah we had that we didn't have that preloaded up so oh well next time you got to do it live yeah you got to do it live so uh, I don't know. You think we should should we mention? I guess some of the antibiotics. Yeah, just mention a just few mention. that we could use just because so, it's part of the differential. Yeah. So if you were going to actually treat a patient with bacterial um, rhinosinusitis, uh, the first kind of thing to consider is hey, do they have penicillin allergy? Um, and if not, then you know you're looking at is there any situation where we're worried about like poor outcomes so like certain you know risk factors like if they're older than 65 are they immunocompromised um do they have other comorbidities like uh, any kind of um, cardiac or uh, diabetes or anything like that renal disease um and if not then we can kind of pick and choose what we what we want. We can either do amoxicillin 500 three times a day. Um, you can do 875 twice a day of amoxicillin, or you can jump right to the uh, Augmentin um, with either 500 um, over 125 or 875 over 125 based on three or twice a day dosing. Uh, it depends on this, how worried you are about the gram-negative uh, you know, coverage is mm -hmm. in the beta-lactamases um, producing bacteria. Um, if they do have any of those you know, sort of risks for a poor outcome or you know pneumococcal resistance or anything like that um, then you could consider that uh, high dose augment in the 2000 milligram extended release tablets twice a day I, you very rarely actually see that but that is yeah. one that they they recommend um, some other options if the patient does you know if you want to avoid a, a a um, penicillin or you're trying to uh, stay away from augmentin because of the GI distress or whatever, um, then you can also consider doxycycline 100 milligrams twice a day, um, or you can do the a third generation cephalosporin will have about the same coverage as the uh, um, the augmentin, so you can do like cepidoxime, um, and there's in some patients even will end up being on cepidoxime plus clindamycin, which I, that I would not recommend. But there is, um, depending on which bugs you're trying to cover, it does happen sometimes. I typically think cepidoxime by itself is good enough. Um, and then if there's no improvements, one, you want to look at your differential diagnosis again, make sure that it's actually what's causing it. Um, and if and if you just think it was resistant or something like that, then you would um, potentially treat with another oral antibiotic from a different class than was used the first time around. And that's where you could um, consider like a respiratory fluoroquinolone, so like levofloxacin, moxifloxacin, um, or uh, a third-generation cephalosporin plus the clindamycin. That's where I would tend to save that one for. 
Um, and then uh, from there, if you're still not getting improvement, send them to a specialist to get some imaging done. Figure yep. out what in the world's going on. Because yep. that's pretty rare to see that. Um, but yeah, so there's some there's some uh, breakdown of some some treatment options. You can we can go into a lot more uh, detail of that later, but uh, just for the heck of it. Yeah, we'll hit it in another another episode. But there are um, some common bugs. Uh, you might have kind of referenced some of them, but strep pneumo is going to be the most common, along with H flu. But you could have some other bugs that are causing the infection: MCAT, Staph aureus, different anaerobes, and Streptococcus species. Uh, but those first two are definitely the most common. Yeah. So there you go. Um, AJ, we missed anything? 48 hours is how long after the three-day course of Afrin you can take it again. Oh, my goodness. Great. Good job, AJ. Look at that. Look at that. Customer that's, service outline. That's fantastic. The customer I've, service outline. Did not know that at all. They'll tell you. Oh, you call it? The, no, you did not. Reddit told me. <laughs> okay. Well, you know. <laughs> Great. Reddit never lies. We're, we're so citing our that, sources we'll, now. Let's put, let's put that... <laughs> <laughs> Let's put that with an asterisk by it until we verify that the Reddit author was uh, was some sort of a healthcare provider. Um, but yeah, cool. Thanks, AJ. Uh, and then make sure you guys check out our other material, whether it be social media or Patreon. If you guys like the podcast um, or you want a little bit different vibe of the the recordings, so it could be you know the, with the Patreon stuff, it's all like the lecture, like traditional boring lecture stuff. Um, so if you're that's more your more your style, which I get it. If we uh, distract you too much with our tangents, um, you know that might be something you like. So check that out. Um, check out the uh, tips and tricks and clinical pearls and stuff we put up on uh, the social media platforms and um we've been we're gonna we gotta talk more about we i want to roll out some kind of like a live case thing that we can start doing um and people can call in and participate and all that it's still noodling around up here i just gotta figure out how we can work that and we have some uh the capabilities now of taking live calls on the air so Mm -hmm. we gotta figure out how we can utilize that yeah just make it like a three-hour radio show yeah you're just like well you know change my voice like they used to do like people people thought you had to do that so ridiculous mike and cole yeah five o'clock could you imagine that'd be so so annoying yeah and uh so yeah, anyways, the uh, we've got some stuff that we're going to be working on. Hopefully that you guys will enjoy. Uh, but thank you guys so much for listening and everybody who's stuck with us this long. Um, you know, if you have any questions for us, hit us up in the emails, um, you know, or, or any of the social media platforms. Uh, again, make sure if you're when you're done with this episode, if you are a FreeCE.com member, of, uh, an unlimited member, then check out the uh, the post activity test. Get your credit for this, um, and uh, make sure you keep the Poland uh, password in all caps. I've gotten a few. A few, a few messages from people. I don't know how I'm the IT guy for this thing, but I password up, doesn't yeah, work. Password doesn't work. <laughs> it's like okay. Oh, guess what? Your password doesn't work. And very annoyed with me. I like how they email us directly. I know. I was like. I, we're just the podcast guys. I am not the IT, but I end up just helping them anyway because I feel bad. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Caps lock. so thank you guys um, for sticking with us, even though uh, we go off on these tangents that some of you hate. But we'll see you guys in the next episode. AJ, see you.